what is your take currently on uh, representation globally in various countries, as well as uh, Kenya's representation in esports? Like, what was your perspective on it beforehand, and what's your perspective on it? You know, now that you've been into it, you've been getting more notoriety, you've been getting more publications and interviews and stuff. What's how has your perspective on the scene sort of transformed? Um, initially, when I started out, I uh, just to give a bit, bit of a background, I really like didn't settle to be some, you know, esports star. I just, you know, joined professional gaming because I thought it was cool. I felt challenged when, uh, you know, playing uh, fighting games, especially Mortal Kombat and Tekken, and I wanted to improve on that. But I really didn't think that, you know, I'd, uh, people were interested in listening to diverse voices because all I th- when I saw um, esports and gaming, I thought these are things for white or Asian men. Mm. And then when I I joined Tekken, I just did it because I love Tekken and I wanted to learn how it was to be, you know, play professional Tekken and compete at the highest levels. Then I didn't expect that an American esports team would take a chance on me you know, an African slash Kenyan woman. So now that I've, uh, you know, begun to grow my brand and become a better tech player and a content creator, I'm actually surprised to see that more and more people are starting to be interested in listening to, you know, Kenyan slash African voices and, see, you know, see uh, how the rest of the world uh, competes uh, against America, against uh Japan against Korea and it's really awesome to see and something that I even find more surprising because now Aslan Ash put Pakistan on the Tekken map so the fact that guys are interested in seeing what's out there it, it gives me hope that soon, sooner or later we're going to have Kenyans and Ivorians and you know other African countries in on the Tekken Ultra and other events. Yeah, and and that's that is a great kind of comparison that you made. You know, comparing you know Arslan Ash with with Pakistan, which is amazing that there are so many diverse groups of people around the world that play tech and that play video games. But only recently have they been getting some sort of like comparable, you know, spotlight and acknowledgement. You know, even your accolades, even your achievements, even your sort of publications that you've gotten before. You know, we we talk. It helped me get to know you. You know what I mean, and get to know about you. So it's really amazing that 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 sort of you know uh, di- that sort of juxtaposition is there. Do you know have any ideas on why so many countries are are not represented in esports e- or represented in global gaming, even though they play video games as just as much as everybody else? Um, okay, from the bit of uh, research, I think why we don't see many diverse voices in esports and in gaming is. Um, game developers don't really build the servers with, you know, I'd say other countries in mind outside of, you know, North America and the EU. And mm. you see, when we, let's say, register accounts like we, uh, PlayStation and Activision Blizzard and these other accounts that we create, um, our data ends up reflecting on servers that are built in the EU or in North America. So it kind of gives the representation. So it kind of gives like this. Uh, yeah, it right. gives this impression that you know, um, outside of North America, uh, outside of North America and the EU, there no one, uh, no one really plays video games. So, 
um, when we start, you know, when we start to complain about these issues, that's when they get suppressed. Like, hey, uh, we we didn't know that there was a scene out here in, let's say, in Africa. We didn't know there's a scene in Pakistan. That we didn't know there's a scene, you know, uh, just uh, just to say from my own personal experience, and. Moreover, sometimes the media isn't really fine. Uh, the you know the impression that they uh, they give of Africans and of you know uh, country, uh, countries like the Middle East. Like, um, mm. I think from the advertisements that I see in North America about you know Africa, it kind of gives the impression that we're all about poverty, war, death, corruption, etc. Right. Yeah, that's very interesting that you bring that up, and I, I'm kind of curious, like. Um, when did you decide like, okay, I'm going to, you know, when did you decide to professionally take on, you know, esports to take on like being a representation of Kenya, you know, like when did that happen? Because did that ever feel like that was daunting to you that that was almost impossible to give you uh, some background on, on where this question is coming from. When I was in elementary school and even high school, I love video games. That was like the number one thing that I was doing. But even me, because of who I saw on television, I didn't think that it was a realistic thing to pursue. I didn't think it was a cool thing to pursue. You know, I thought it was like, you know, very heavily gatekept and maybe to some degree it was, but you know, that it was very secure, that it there was no way that I could, I didn't have a voice there. I didn't have a say there. I could only play the games, right? And uh, now I know that, you know, those sort of dynamics and those narratives are changing, the opportunities are changing, and I can insert my own ideas into the into the into the metaverse, so to speak, for lack of a better word. So I'm curious to know, did you feel like that as well? You know, I, I, I was born in the States, you know, did you feel like that coming from Kenya? Or were you just like, hey, there's no, there's not a lot of competition here, or there's not very few, I can, I can just make my own wave. How did you feel about, you know, pursuing that? Um, so as I said earlier, I didn't really like set out to be an esports star. I just uh, joined uh, gaming and esports because I thought it was cool and I loved it. Um, so it ju- let me just say, to be honest, it just happened. Um, mm. The moment I got signed to my first team, Exit Gaming, um, I really didn't think it was like uh, a particularly big deal until um, I first saw my, you know, an article that one of our, our, our newspapers here in Kenya called the people did on me. Um, they called the title of the article I remember was the gaming queen. And I got that um, article sent to me by my cousin. And I remember that day it was, uh, I was, it was during my contract law class. <laughs> so I wasn't paying mm-hmm. uh, too much attention. I was just, uh, scro- I left my data on and then my my cousin sent that WhatsApp message with the article. Then, um, you know, more media houses uh, started uh, paying uh, paying attention to me. And th- but th- these were mostly media houses that were locally based here in Kenya. But now in 2019, uh, that that's when the BBC uh, BBC Africa did that feature on me, and right. it you know it really blew up um, on on Twitter uh, and. I remember the Ivorian community like really pushed it. Then I didn't expect that also um them, you know, guys in the US would be really interested. And so much that even Anakin like, you know, sh- gave me a shout out and 
saying that he was, you know, he was proud of me. So I was like, bro, um, that like kind of, you know, really like uh, at the back of my mind, I knew I had to not be a good representation of my community because now more eyes are start are getting in, you know, more eyes are now on, on the African scene and people want to hear our stories. So that's when I decided I need to start doing be- better in tech and I need to, you know, be the best, like, you know, black excellence kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And, and how has it been? How, how has the whole journey been for you just overall? Um, to be honest, I'm going to say it's not been the easiest journey. Um, by nature, I'm actually a really introverted person. And it's been a bit of, a, I'd say it's been a burden, but in a weird kind of way, but not, not that it's not in a bad way, but it's been a challenge because, you know, I've had to, you know, I've now ha- been given the challenge that I have to be the best that I can be. And at some point it's kind of, uh, it's kind of been a scary kind of transition, but as I said, it's challenged me to be better. Wow. Right. And, and, you know, what you've done is, is just really incredible. And we're glad that you take it on that challenge. Um, what, what are kind of your, your goals for, you know, the next couple of years, you know, considering travels kind of bound up a little bit, um, but you've been making strides. You've continuously been, you know, in, you know, everywhere you can be right. Uh, tell us a little bit about the plans for the future. Um, so the, I'd seem, um, I'm going to answer this in a different kind of way. I've, dis- yeah. I've realized there's a difference between goals and objectives. So right. my goal uh, overall is to be, I'd say, a better person, a better competitor. That's what I've realized I should take away from video games. Um, but objectively, I, uh, as an objective, I want to actually start traveling more and you know, challenge myself to see where I measure up with the rest of the world um, in terms of being a tech employer and, you know, keep pushing the Quinaro name out there and pushing my, you know, highlighting my community. So that those are kind of my objectives. And as I actually want to be, I want to, I want to be the Shayu of Africa, like, on people to recognize my gameplay because I know the you know I know the kind of strides that I can make if you know I put a little bit of more effort in improving my gameplay. Right. Yeah. So hopefully, uh, I hopefully with this new variant of COVID it doesn't shut down travel again. Uh, so hopefully next year I hope to see you guys in the states. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. And- Go ahead. And the EU, yeah, and the EU, <laughs> and other wherever you know, wherever my plans will take me. Yeah, and you recently got to go to the EU and, and do a uh, show match with Kayane. How was that experience? It seemed like it was a lot of fun, and you guys had a good back and forth. Uh, how was that whole experience, being in the EU oh. for the first time? Honestly, it was uh, really exciting. Um, after South Africa, um, the French embassy called me saying that, you know, the, gov- the French government and Okitani Esports, Montpellier had invited me to for the show matches. So um, it, I was wow. excited to actually travel to, 
you know, for the New Africa Front Summit and the Okitani Esports uh, Expo. So I actually got to meet Kayani. She's, you know, the most awesome uh, person I, I can think of. And it was actually an honor to meet her. And Definitely. after, so I know I got to talk with her and, you know, after a show matches, she asked me a few questions. She asked, you know, uh, she asked me, you know, she asked me how old I am, how long I've been playing Tekken. And, you know, she also told me about her own experiences. She started uh, playing when she was nine, but started traveling out and competing when she was 19. So she told me like, you know, she just said, you know, enjoy the experience and enjoy the journey. And, you know, the nerves will, they will disappear with time. So I shouldn't be too hard on myself. And then she, you know, she took me on a tour of Montpellier with uh, one of her other uh, colleagues. So I really had fun and I'm honestly now pumped to start competing more. Yeah, I could imagine like getting that co-sign from her and getting those words of wisdom, like really kind of boosted your, you know, your your drive, right? Yeah, it. It uh, definitely did because I realized it's never that serious, you know. Uh, primal, I think something that I feel we forget when uh, when we uh, you know about esports is primarily we should be having fun. They're just games at the end of the day, but sometimes exactly. I feel with the whole you know the esports thing, we kind of put us our mind on the cloud and the the fame, the money so much that it kind of takes out the fun, you know, takes away from the experience overall. It should all be about having fun and pushing ourselves to be the best that we can be. Right, definitely. And I know that you you kind of think deeply about, you know, you know real, real issues, real world issues and, and sustainable sort of uh, solutions to those issues. And I'm curious to know, like, how do you think esports could become more sustainable or how are you strategizing to make you know your career in the next say the next tech in game or whatever um you know strong and solid right like thinking of you know coming from you know a place where you know the representation is kind of growing and developing and we know that even some of the best players in the states uh don't really have that infrastructure around them i know that you've talked about and we've kind of talked about developing that infrastructure in other countries that do not have as much re- representation. How are you thinking about going into 2022, the next tech and game, whatever, and strategizing, you know, your experience and career in, in law, et cetera, et cetera. Like, how are you balancing those things to make esports work in your lifestyle at this time? Um, so what I think that could be done to make um, esports a more sustainable career, I don't think we should transition entirely from our tradition, you know, the traditional kind of, um, you know, we shouldn't do away the traditional degrees because I right. think how we can um, build an, uh, you know, we can build the structures to support all of us and, you know, retain the, you know, the diverse talent that we have is, I think I should stick, you know, go to, if you have the money and you have the means, go back to school, get that education. Cause I feel it mm. can actually be, uh, be used to build the, you know, the foundation, you know, a more sustainable foundation. Like let's say if you did business in school, I'm sure there's a way it can transition into esports, like, you know, the business of esports. Mm. For me, it's my law degree. I feel that 
um i'm not going to be playing tekken forever i'm not this is gonna it's gonna i'm gonna reach an age where i won't be able to compete with the you know the newer generation so we need to start building um uh i'd say regular you know regulations and you know build our i'd say ethics and laws that make sure that the sport the mm. scene is uh that you know is ethical in how we conduct our business um because i um actually i was actually talking with one of my mentors from the lagos esports for, uh, forum he was, um, he was telling me that you know by the time that we are retiring we need to leave the space in a way that we we don't have sharks among us people who are just out to exploit uh players and their talent Um, mm. I don't. I, I don't want. Uh, let's say my siblings or anyone who's gonna come after me uh, saying that Quinaro, you are here in this space. You travel the world. You ate. You know. You dined and you ate uh, at the big people. But you never. But you never did right by us by making sure that this. You know, the scene was. I'd say more, run more ethically. So you sold us out. I don't want something like that in the future because they're going to be angry at me and they'll have every right to be. So I want to leave this space better than I found it, better than I was starting out. Thank you for that. And, and that's a beautiful answer. I, I'm curious, do you feel like you're more invested in the competitive aspect of esports or you're more invested in the infrastructure aspect or is it equal? Because I feel like when I, I hear there's like two parts of, you know, your personality when it comes to gaming, I hear the competitive, you know, you that wants to win and dominate become the very best you can be and then i hear this other part that's like i want to leave something for the people who come after i want this to be a culture and community and environment where people aren't being exploited for their talent like i hear that almost as much if not more what what side pulls you more motivates you more or do you draw from both sources um i draw from both sources because i i don't think i'd be I don't to be disingenuous by saying that I'm only a competitor. I'm a multifaceted person and that's good and that's fine. Um you know I did I studied law and once I I you know I started getting into competitive gaming I realized that there are gaps that need to be filled and it would only be right for me who's uh, one of the pioneers of African esports to make sure that by the time I'm retiring and um, this space will be you know a much more ethical i'd say to, it's a much more ethical space um i if i'm being honest i really hate politics but as i said i i see these problems and i can't uh, pretend that i don't see them and my conscience won't allow me to you know my conscience won't allow me to start you know compete and dominate and then i just leave the space uh, with all these uh you know, with all these gaps and issues that need to be you know rectified hmm. Hmm. yeah and we're going to be supporting you you know every step of the way as you you know are empowering yourself and empowering others to you know find solutions to you know making things you know more effective and making it making it a better place overall Um you know you talked about you know the the multi aspects of who you are and your personality let's talk a little bit about that law degree um and congratulations for you know for one for for graduating this year um can you tell us about you know why you decided to get into law Okay uh first of all thank you for the warm wishes um it was an easy graduating but I managed to do it um why decided to pursue law um 
another bit of my background is um I kind of I'm kind of from a legal family. My dad's a lawyer. Uh my brother's a lawyer. Um and two of my cousins are also lawyers and then I have uh actually two other cousins who are are doing their undergrad. So there's that a uh, bit of influence. Um then second of all I actually wanted to do international relations with, uh because before I got into esports professionally I actually wanted to do a, have a diplomatic career and um I actually wanted to do the whole like work for the United Nations uh be a badass diplomat and all that jazz but I um, that actually told me to, I might be better off uh, first studying law than specializing in in diplomacy but that changed when i you know got into esports and saw these issues i decided to um this i decided if i'm going to do my masters i'm going to pursue sports law you you say you're going to do your masters you're going to pursue what sports law oh definitely definitely so is that kind of your main goal right now is to you know study law to you know protect athletes and deal with athletes Uh, yeah um uh, yeah this is like my whole like backup plan like as i said once i decide um, i don't to like uh, professionally game anymore i want to at least put the you know the knowledge that i have to good use in making sure that we have our uh, regulations and making sure that the law is uh, f- you know favors consumers when it comes to in game microtransactions Uh, you know right. protects consumers and then also make sure that athletes aren't uh you know don't get themselves into bad deals so mm. there's the whole you no know, interpretation of contracts um arbitration and and uh, you know li- legal litigation that also needs to be done right right yeah that's really cool um so you're you when you studied law you were mainly just trying to you know get into the work of you know protecting the athletes and things like that was 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 studying that difficult was doing you know that law degree i mean you said it was definitely challenging um tell us a little bit about that that grind <laughs> and the long night staying up and doing homework did you enjoy it overall uh what's kind of your recap on that experience i mean you just finished you know a couple months ago well, last month so yeah it's you know law is not the easiest degree in the world cuz it has a lot you need to have a, like a reading culture you have to always be uh reading your books you have to always keep in touch with current affairs and let's say uh sometimes uh you might have uh those days that you sometimes you're doing uh late nights uh doing your homework especially if you are one of those who postpone you know uh procrastinate until the very last minute uh, as that I was guilty of that habit at times and then um covid broke uh broke out last year so you know that i think we took two months off school before we st- we started doing our stuff online so now i had to make uh make sure that i finished all my exams uh last year i had like 13 exams to do so i actually had to put you know uh esports in the you know in the background uh, briefly to make sure that i did my exams uh then this year it was all about doing my uh my dissertation in the united states you'd call it my thesis um so it was really difficult because you know i had to do a, a plenty of research into 
um, into my paper because it was about microtransactions and how Kenya's laws don't reflect the reality of technology. You know, you know, the law hasn't caught up with technology and it need, that needs also to change. So I had to do a lot of research. I had to, some, I had to take trips to Nairobi to make sure th um, that my supervisor was happy with my work. So it was really difficult. But once I, I finally you know, got my final signature from the uh, head of department, I was super relieved that I, I have finally have this uh, in the background. Right. You know, I, I kind of think um, when you when you talked about, you know, going to you know Nairobi to do research, you know, I've been playing um, Halo Infinite uh, a lot recently and they have a stage there. A lot of the stuff from the Halo games takes place in Africa and Kenya. Um, and it's just really interesting. I can really imagine, especially with the work that you're doing in the next couple years, really. I, I can I can definitely see Africa having a much larger presence in esports, you know, like on the same level as. U.S. and South Korea and Japan, I think Pakistan, Middle East, Africa, like the rest of the world could be like a lot more represented. I think it's slowly happening, you know? Uh, yeah, I'm happy to see that uh, people are make, trying to make those concerted efforts to make sure that um, representation is there. But I feel overall this is something um, that, of FGC and the gaming and esports fraternity at large need to acknowledge that we can do much better when it comes to representation and you know creating as you know safe space and you know holding space for I'd say minorities who aren't uh, represented as well. Definitely. What can creators do? You know, just the average person that's playing games on you know on the weekend. They're on Twitter. What can they do to be more proactive in getting uh, these sorts of changes to happen? Because I think that's a problem. Like people feel as though they're not empowered. They feel like there's not much that they can do as far as you know representation if they're not the ones that lack representation. So what can other people do, do you think? Um, so, okay. Um, from what I've uh, observed, I think we also need to ask ourselves why aren't the minority is uh, represented as well in the space. Um, I know this from apart from let's say the creators of these games and content creators as a whole. They don't. I'd say don't. I don't think they want to make the mistake of speaking out as if they know our experiences, because you know that can be a mistake that that can I'd say be fatal. And on top of that, I think the answer to also the question why we don't have minorities um, in the space is this, we have to call a spade a spade. And there's a toxic element of you know, the FGC and the esports space as a whole. Uh, we, you know, we tend to, I'd say other, uh, let me use, I'm, I'm using other in quotes, uh, we, we tend to other people like if you're not white, if you're not male and you're not straight, you don't, you know, we tend to drive people out by calling them all manner of names, by doxing them and, you know, just being ten generally unfriendly. Mm. And, you know, that means that we need to acknowledge that this is a problem. And, you know, the first step to our solving a problem is acknowledging that it's there. And the moment we make, you know, we, we make that acknowledgement, then we can take the next steps and ask, what can we do better? That means like uh, holding space in terms of, you know, 
retweeting, um, I'd say minorities, buying from them and, you know, uplifting them as a whole. And if it means also creating, I'd say, leagues that, let's say like, um, for example, I know Kunoichi is part of the CGL, uh, the console gaming league. If it means creating leagues where, let's say, for example, women can compete safely and without you know too much, I'd say um, unneeded scrutiny, that would be, I think that would be ideal until it reaches a point where we have uh, minorities that are in this space and are comfortable, then we'll have, we won't have need, a need for these kinds of leagues anymore. That, those are just my two cents. Yeah, definitely. You know, that's kind of what Arcade Press is about. It's, you know, our, our show is kind of bringing, you know, a, a, a variety of voices onto the show and getting different perspectives and getting them to talk about things beyond just, you know, rating games. You know, when I was younger, I used to think, oh, if you were going to get into the game industry as a writer, you would basically just have to like rate games on a scale of one to 10. And that just seemed way too restricting. You know what I mean? And I feel like in the same way that you approach the game, you're not just approaching it on the competitive level, you're approaching it on the like community level, like giving people opportunities, giving people new perspectives. Um, what kind of new perspectives have you gotten just since going pro? Um, what are like some of the big life lessons or things that you've learned just diving into this new, you know, this new world? Um, okay. Um, to be honest, I think this year is when I've like had to like really reflect like um, about the, like, the, the kinds of lessons that I've learned. Um, I've learned that it's never that serious. Um, I, I think I learned this lesson after my trips to South Africa and to France that, you know, you just have to take it easy and you just need to like, just enjoy the journey. Um, sometimes you can, you know, you can be so hungry for say, success okay, and and you, you sometimes like lose, like what's, you, you kind of lose sight of what's important. and. I need to. I needed to realize that my growth as a person, and you know, just enjoying the experiences, is what's paramount when it comes to professional gaming. And number two, um, I I did deal with a, a serious harassment issue part of last year and part of this year, and I realized that you need to surround yourself with the, you know with people who love you and are going to support you and. At some point, you need to stop giving, I'd say, credence to you know, the noise. If, you know, the noise and the nastiness that people love to say about it doesn't fit with your overall goals and objectives, you just uh, block it out. And I also learned that you're going to face negative experiences and you shouldn't say that I don't, you know, you don't need to, I shouldn't have to go through this. It's, this is life and unfortunately, life isn't fair because people have made it that way, but negative experiences are going to be there and you know you just uh you know you just take it for what it is and move on um and at some point you also have to be uh jealous of your body of work be protective of it and don't allow people to take you know take away from the efforts that you you know the concerted efforts that you've made to grow as an athlete and as a person so be protective right. of that Right. Own your masters. And, right. And not just masters, even just like, we, you know, the efforts are made to grow as a, like a competitor in Tekken. Um, 
I, I realized I needed to be also protective of that. And that's something I actually learned from Kadluko. <laughs> really? Can you yeah. talk a little bit uh, more about that? Uh, yeah, it was just a, a brief conversation that we were having on Twitter. And she mentioned, uh, she, she was just asking how I was doing. And then I told her like a bit of uh, like what was just going through uh, my mind at the time. And then she she just you know she she gave me this advice about being protective of your body of work, right? Yeah, yeah. She's she's really uh, wise, you know, for being so young, and uh, that's definitely one of those things that we need to talk about more. And and not just you know the creative arts, the music musician. You know, we hear that a lot in music spaces. You know, but it also goes for content creation, esports, the gaming spaces. Like own what you labor and you know protect it right um so that's really powerful that you had that conversation uh with her you know i'm curious to kind of go back a little bit about what's your experience with um with amusement parks amusement gaming centers and arcades in africa was your first experience with that playstation 2 or console back back in the day with gaming or like did you experience some like smaller gaming centers fairs arcades in africa before you got a hand, chance to play on console? Um, so, okay, for, on this one, my memory is a little bit hazy. Um, my brother might be able to tell me more if I asked him about it, but I do remember that there used to be some game centers uh, around, uh, around here, back here in my hometown. Um, but um, see, I'd say since uh, I'd say I'm from a um, I, I've lived in privilege. Um, my dad did have the, he had the money to buy us a console. So I remember uh, outside of that cartridge console game that we had, we had these uh, DVDs that had, and we had this disc that had these old school games, uh, Super Mario, Contra, Chopper, um, uh, Pac-Man, if I recall correctly, then, um, once and then he also had an old computer back in his office that he wasn't using so uh he brought it home then we had this uh ducati racing games um and it we, we also installed uh, mortal kombat and street fight on it then uh my brother convinced him to get us a playstation 2 that's where my interaction with Tekken, the Tekken 4 demo disc, Tekken 5, uh, Mortal Kombat once again, uh, Tomb Raider came in. That's, I got these ex, uh, experiences. Then um, finally in 20, is it 2016, I call he bought us a uh, PlayStation 3. Then now he finally, uh, once I got signed to exit, I he finally got me a PlayStation 4, which I've been using since then. Dope. And what's your favorite console and in, in your favorite game? Um, honestly, I feel the PlayStation 2 era might, was undefeated because um, I think these are, this was the time that games... Uh, game developers made games with a lot that had a lot of hard that had a lot of um, uh, you know rich and you know rich stories. Right. Um, honestly, I can't really pick a favorite game, but there's Tomb Raider: Angel of Darkness that I really enjoyed playing. Um, then those uh, I don't I don't know if any of you played this game called Headhunter. Uh, there was that. 
And then those um, Ape Escape 3, I think I'd have to rate those three games among my favorites. Then maybe a close uh, number four might be Tekken 5. Definitely. Tekken 5 is, of course, a classic. So I know the Tomb Raider, uh, Angel of Darkness, but the Headhunter, do you mean Manhunter or there's one called Headhunter? There's one called Headhunter. I love okay. to look for the disc. Uh, I love to look for the the disc around it, and then I'll take a picture. But I'm not sure many people will play this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I was able to pull it up, and it's got like a guy on a bike. So so there's some vehicle action going on, right? Yeah, I remember there was a bit of that, but um, it's been, geez, I think it's been over 15 years, so I can't. I don't really have um, many clear memories of that game but i just remember playing it and also watching my brother play it was uh, it was a lot of fun yeah there was something about that ps2 era right like it was just a special time for gaming that we just we haven't really been able to get back to you know when you bought a game back then it just everything was on that disc what you bought is what you got there wasn't really any dlc you know what i mean it's just like a very nostalgic for that era of course yeah, um, I think you. I think you just put it uh, perfectly in words. I think the moment um, the bottom line became more important than making stories with rich experiences, uh, you know, took precedent. Precedence. It's that's when I'd say uh, we don't get as many uh, good games as today because it's like developers are putting out games uh, for the sake of making money. And you know, selling mm. DLC and microtransactions that don't mm. really make sense. Yeah, well, you did that dissertation on, um, you know, the microtransactions. What did you find? I know you mentioned that it doesn't really represent the reality. Could you talk a little bit more about, you know, your dissertation? Because it's very relevant into the type of stuff that we talk about here on, on our K-Press. Um, so what I did was... Uh, I think I got uh, really passionate about this whole microtransaction issue after I saw what EA did with Star Wars Battlefront 2. So what happened is my uh, one of my schoolmates sent me this uh, Reddit post that, and then he asked, have you heard about this issue? Then I saw that uh, the title of, of the Reddit post was, seriously, I paid $80 to have Darth Vader locked. Mm. Um, so then I started doing more research. Then I was actually shocked, like, you know, of the audacity of EA. Like, how do you, how do you create a full-priced game? And then you're all giving right. people the, you know, the full experience. Then, you know, um, then I saw that yeah, one of your U.S. representatives of, is it Hawaii? Yeah, Chris Lee, um, you know, brought out this issue to, to the Congress saying that, you know, the, uh, the game, uh, a lot of games nowadays are grooming children to become gamblers because, you know, they don't have the emotional capacity to process the whole gambling, mm. uh, you know, of pay-to-play aspect of video games. Mm-hmm. Then um, pay-to-win. Yeah, then I saw also, I think last year, or, or 2019, I, uh, Josh, uh, Senator Josh Hawley introduced, uh, he wanted to introduce an act that would make uh, basically a random ch- games of chance illegal in the United States. But I know your current law, you know, uh, the, th- the threshold of, I'd say, gambling is different according to the state that you are in, if I recall correctly. 
So I know the Massachusetts might have a different threshold, the state of Maryland, DTC. Right. And I and I feel and I, then I also did research into the EU uh, Belgium ba- banned any AAA game that would have you know uh, games of chance and they actually made it a crime for any publisher to you know to create games of you know, with random chance purchases. Um, I saw the United Kingdom had that conversation and overall what I I concluded in my thesis is that the the thing is we need to start having these conversations and i saw that kenya the uh, the problem is that um our laws haven't you know don't match the reality because a lot of our at our lawmakers and policy makers are old um so when you bring when you talk when you even start the, about the topic of video games they'll give you a blank look or they'll just even be outright hostile like what are you doing playing things that are for children and the funny thing is, here in Kenya, our constitution under Article 46, um, we actually have the capacity to, to protect uh, consumers in, you know, even in virtual economies, in even as they're playing video games. It's that we haven't started having that conversation yet, and it's important that we have that conversation. And and so that way we haven't started having that conversation is because for one, I don't think people even realize that our, for one, that there might be potential consumer rights violations in video games, or they don't, or they don't, they just don't know that we have, you know, so we have laws on the books that can protect them. So mm. once we, once we start, you know, having that conversation and making people aware and we have the, the relevant government bodies, uh, making people aware that they have rights even as they you know interact with virtual in-game economies then we'll we'll even start you know updating our laws to show that technology need, uh, and the law needs to be you no know, go hand in hand right so it sounds like your your primary folk primary focus in that field is just getting people to start being aware of the legislation and potential legislation around these types of, you know, predatory sort of practices, right? Yeah, that's um, exactly it. Then I think even in future, I hope you can see that we actually have our own, we have our own regulatory bodies because I know the US has the ESRB, um, the EU has PEGI, but I don't, we haven't seen, like, um, for Kenya, we don't have any regulatory bodies, so we end up using... Um, you know, the let's say the ratings that Peggy and the ESRB have given these games. And sometimes I don't feel, uh, sometimes uh, we can't use laws that have been made for, let's say, the American audience. We can't use laws that have been made for an EU audience. We need to have laws that are, have created, um, bearing in, have been created, bearing in mind our, you know, our own practices, you know, and our traditions and circumstances. Right. Yeah, that's, that's like a whole, like, you know, deeper conversation. I feel like that we need to have, you know, have you on in the future is like talking about, you know, the processes of, of, of lawmaking and uh, how, you know, government bodies or political bodies can be more sensitive um, or be more tasteful, contextualized to the people that they're serving. You know what I mean? Because sometimes we think it's like one size shoe fits all or one live, one law can apply to, anyone in any place and that's not always the case right 
exactly you put it into words like uh just you've summarized it like one size in one size you can fit all of us right definitely and i'm really i'm really 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 interested in you know to see how this sort of discourse develops and anything that we can do to kind of help push that or bring attention to that you know definitely let us know because it's something that that needs to be talked about. You know what I mean? Like no one likes predatory microtransactions. No one likes paying more for a game, even though they've already paid for it. Yet there's not a lot of like deep conversation about, you know, is this ethical? Is this legal? What, what places are these things not legal? You know, like we're just not talking about it on a deeper level besides the fact like, oh, I'm upset. I paid full price for this game. This is too much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think we... Uh, we just need to give people like the you know that language through which they can, I'd say, adequately describe you know uh, describe their frustrations with these kinds of practices. Because I think that's where um, uh, you said people uh, just say, "Oh, they're mad that they're paying for," um, you know, they're paying extra on top of the full price game. But I think it's just they don't have the language to express how uh, maybe like to question the illegalities of these kinds of practices. Right. Most definitely. Um, what are you most looking forward to in the next Tekken game? What are you hoping for? What's on your Tekken wish list? Um, I think for one, I really wish that Tekken for one can stop trying to, I'd say, simplify the game by, I don't know, putting... Um, uh, you know, this be- I, I don't know, these basic combos kind of thing. I don't think that's the best way to introduce a new game to someone who might be trying to get into it uh, on a professional level. I think they just need to finally put a proper tutorial that can get someone into the game and, mm. you know, show them how, you know, uh, let's say how frame data works, how this move, wo- how this move uh, works. And, right. and I'm happy they kind of put the, that punishment training mode where they, uh, they took the, I'd say, 10 to 15 uh, punishable moves, which I'd say is a start, start in the right direction. But I need, feel that there needs to be, no um, more needs to be done to make sure that uh, the game is actually accessible. As you know, Tekken has a rep for being one of the most, I'd say, difficult fighting games out there. And it's be- I think this is one of the reasons. There's no way to teach someone how to I'd say how to play the game right especially at a professional level um then I actually want them to I'd say uh, rather than create I'd say new characters who don't really I'd say fit the game I'd I'd prefer if they put more stock into the legacy characters and mm. then um I wouldn't actually mind uh paying for a season pass that had new characters not um legacy characters that I don't really uh uh um legacy characters need to take I'd say precedent because they have more I'd say they have more engagement with the actual storyline of Tekken. Right. Right. So I feel if they put more stock into legacy characters and then leave the DLC uh, leave the new characters of DLC that would be fine. Um, then I um, let me be honest. Um, I really wish they'd also improve with uh, on their communication when it comes to like, let's are they going to update the game? Are they done with this game? Because right. it's been months since we've heard from them outside of the Tekken Online challenge. So yeah. if they found a way to I'd say uh, get a community manager who can like I'd say give I'd say um, monthly 
updates like this is what we are working on and maybe we are uh, working on this we're working on that we let's say the, the technology is coming back that kind of thing it would be i think it would be a good thing overall because I know some people are also quitting the game because they they asked like I'm done with this game the developers haven't communicated I'm tired of this power creep uh, in the DLC characters it is Yeah yeah it's amazing how little sort of communication has happened you know in a while from the tech and you know dev team Uh yeah um and i know they may not want to announce something prematurely before they're really sure that i'd say it's up to standard but um i think when season 4 came out i was actually happy because they actually changed some uh, some of the ways through which they communicated like fun with the balance uh, list they actually did a good thing from going from the project soul uh, counterparts there there's mix soul kali but they actually listed the let's say if they nuffed this move they gave a reason you know like the the sheet the spreadsheet was more detailed as to why they let they added this move why they nuffed this move why they buffed this move it was right. it was a good thing um overall Um then I think one thing I feel like they could serve to borrow from maybe the Capcom uh developers is maybe like bringing back uh, let's say like the legacy costumes like let's say for characters like Anna like from uh, Asuka like Shoyu um DLC costumes I wouldn't actually mind paying for that also too, if it meant like supporting my favorite game and making sure that they had let's say more money to uh make sure that the next taking game is better and also i think with the, this next generation let's bit um if i don't know if they're making taken eight or taken tag throw whatever but the next taking game i i don't want to hear that the, it has lousy net code cuz it games like guilty gear strive on the market and mortal combat that have let's say reasonably good uh and or even better net code I think that should also be a priority especially given that a lot of the tournaments are being run online. We should I should be able to play with my you know my colleagues from North Africa, my brothers from West Africa and South Africa without too many problems. What do you think uh could be next for you know the 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 fighting game scene? I mean there's Project L, there's DNF coming out soon. um what do you think is the most exciting or either of those two games more exciting to you can we expect you to play any of the new fighting games coming out soon oh definitely um i've seen uh the update that shroud games give on project l and i think given the you know the reputation of shroud games especially when it comes to league of legends and these are uh and how you know they can I'd say the kind of the direction that they made, like they made League of Legends one of the I'd say the bigger esports games out there. Um, I feel it could push the agenda of the FGC forward in that we say that you know the FGC does hasn't really I'd say taken to the esports aspect of you know professional gaming, and I, I know some of the reasons are legitimate as to why they haven't I guess haven't taken to it, but. I feel if you're talking about guys making a no a livable wage from playing games at a professional level um 
I f- I feel like these games will. I think all, overall, these games should push it. Uh, should push that agenda forward. And I'm on. I'm honestly excited to see how you know Projectile adapts their games and maybe how it actually it raises the bar for how fighting games should be made. Right. Will you be playing them? Oh, definitely, definitely. I'm excited to see, and I I hope um. I hope the marketing of these games is also done in a manner that actually is inclusive of all regions, including Africa, because this is something I'd actually be excited to, you know, see a community here and, you know, a, 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 you know, a Project L fighting game community here. That would be really awesome, to be honest. Right. I mean, it, it feels like you're trying to open up how people can support their favorite game or their favorite dev team or how they can engage with it. Like, you know what I mean? Kind of opening it up a little bit more, giving people more resources to engage. And I feel like ultimately not only will it benefit the community that plays the game, but it's going to benefit their bottom line, right. Of making more money and becoming more popular, right. Because they're giving people more content to work with. Yeah. um, You know, uh, I think the, the whole reason why actually, and so the existence of the existence of esports is because there are people who you can you know compete with you can you know you can challenge yourself with and you know you can actually and given the you know how technology has advanced let's say you find something interesting in the lab I, you can actually share this stuff with other people online like so or i, I found let's say uh let's say with tech and i found how sure you can beat this uh particular string from let's say paul Okay. Um, it's I'm just giving our tech an example, yeah, and then yeah, you put yeah. it on you. You put it on YouTube. Then you see uh, hundreds and or even thousands of people actually see that and share that, and it builds the community and actually even introduces other people to the kinds of activities that um that you partake in. Uh, I've done that uh, with my own uh, YouTube channel, and I've actually allowed uh, people who aren't in the community but actually still support me here in Kenya. See, this is what I do. Um, so, like, oh, this is what you do when it comes to like taking. Like, they don't have to understand it, but maybe they right. can share it out to a friend of theirs who actually games and they said, "Hey, let me try taking." Right. That's how you build the, you know, you build a community and you actually give. You also support your, you know, the game devs. Right. Yeah, I think that's the future, and hopefully, that's something that we can expect more of. And I think it's going to really happen because. You know, people like yourself are, you know, literally writing about these things, doing interviews with people, talking about the things. And I, I love talking with you because you talk about the things that Kai and I want to dig into, but not everybody, you know, wants to dig into those things. But but you do because you you believe it's more than just the competitive aspect. And I love that about, you know, the, your personality. My last question for you is where can people engage and interact with your work? How can they stay in touch with everything that's Queen Arrow? Um, so on Twitter, um, you can you can just say Queen Arrow in the search, but I'm gonna pop up. Um, I don't I don't give the actual art because it's a whole different kind of story. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a whole different yes. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So just type Queen Arrow in the search. We are gonna find me there. On Instagram, on Twitch, and on YouTube, type the Queen Arrow 98. You're going to find me um, streaming. You're going to find me sharing all about my life on Instagram. And I'll also go back to updating my YouTube channel. So you can definitely engage with me there. And I also answer all my DMs as long as you're not 
crazy. Yeah. Yeah, just, you know, if, if you're not crazy, Sylvia will respond to you. Yeah, yeah, as long as you're not being too crazy, I'm, I'll definitely get back to you. Cool. Well, Sylvia, we really appreciate your time. Queen Arrow, we super appreciate all the wisdom, information, and insight that you gave us, and we're going to be supporting you along the way. Thank you so much for your time. I thank you as well. It was really amazing talking to you guys, and I definitely enjoyed sharing my story and my perspective.